All right, I'd like to call the November 28th, 2022 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will, the, will you please join me in the flag salute? Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully? Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Here. Councilmember Ramsdale? Present. Councilmember Mark? Present. Councilmember McConnell? Here. Councilmember Poby? Councilmember Roberts? Here. Deputy Mayor? I move to excuse Councilmember Poby for personal reasons. Is there any opposition to the motion to excuse Councilmember Poby? Right. Seeing none, the motion passes unanimously. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the agenda? All right. The agenda, the agenda is adopted as proposed, and next up is a report of the city manager. I'd like to welcome Bristol Ellington to his first council meeting and his first report. Thank you. I'm quite excited about it. Um, before I start, I'd like to give a shout out to um, Assistant City Manager John Norris. I want to thank him for serving as the acting city manager while I transitioned from my previous job and, and moving across uh, part of the country to get here. And so thank you very much for that. Um, I'd like to begin with some weather, winter weather reminders as we started the day with some snow and slush. And the weather forecast is predicting additional snow, snowfall this week. Earlier this month, staff prepared for the season with our annual snowplow operators training. And as always, crews are well prepared for winter weather. When icy conditions are expected, crews prepare roads with de-icers and or sand as conditions allow. When snow begins, our plows concentrate their efforts on arterial routes in order to keep things safe for emergency responders in transit. Once the snow has stopped and, and all primary routes are clear, plows will move to secondary roads before moving into neighborhoods. While we will eventually get to all streets, it might take several days after the final snowfall before residents see a plow on their streets. Also, as a reminder for residents, shoreline property owners are responsible for clearing snow and ice off their sidewalks and driveways. Please help keep pedestrians safe by keeping your sidewalks clear. And please remember to drive carefully and take it slowly. To see snow plow routes, route maps, and for more information about other winter storm related issues such as power outages, garage garbage pickups, and transit snow routes, visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash storm ready. And as we prepare for inclement weather, I wanted to remind the community of the severe weather shelter located at St. Dustin's, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, church in Shoreline. The shelter operates when temperatures are predicted to fall below 33 degrees for four hours overnight, or two or more inches of snow are predicted. The shelter will be open this evening and will likely be open additional evenings this week. To hear the nightly status of the shelter, call the hotline at 206-801-2797. The shelter also has a Facebook page with up-to-date act activation status at facebook.com forward slash shoreline SW shelter. The severe shelter is dependent on volunteers to be successful. If you are interested in volunteering, please visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash shelter to learn more about the commitment. And finally, a big thank you to the North Urban Human Services Alliance and St. Dustin's for their partnership in making this resource a possibility. 
our second annual Winter Porch Light Parade begins this week. On December 1st, visit bit.ly forward slash Winter Porch Light Parade to see a map of light displays across Bothell, Kenwood, Kenmore, Lake Forest Park, and Shoreline. Display registr registration is still open through December 14th, and light displays in any type of space are welcome and encouraged. Registration is free with an optional competition for those who would like to participate. Register your display and find the map at bit.ly forward slash winter porch light parade. And finally, our public reminders this week include two public meetings. The Planning Commission will hold a hybrid meeting on Thursday, December 1st at 7 p.m. in the Council Chambers and online via Zoom. Also Thursday, December 1st, the Parks, Recreation, and Cultural Services Tree Board will hold a hybrid meeting at 7 p.m. in room 440 and online via Zoom. For full agendas of these meetings and other events, visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. And that concludes the manager's report. Thank you, Mr. Ellington. I would just like to note that the Severe Winter Shelter is entirely volunteer run. And if you're interested in volunteering for it, the same website with information uh, about it has information on how you can volunteer. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports this evening? No? All right, seeing none, we're going on to public comments. Public comment is an opportunity for any member of the public to comment on an agenda item or any item of concern. One small exception to that, we have action item 8A tonight which contains a site-specific comprehensive plan land use map change. That's a quasi-judicial item, and the only record we can consider is the record which was developed for the hearing examiner. We cannot accept any additional public comment on that one specific uh, sort of subpart of 8A. I understand there are two people signed up for remote public comments, so we'll do three minutes per speaker. We ask that each, we ask that each speaker begin with their name and city of residence. And is there any, anyone in the audience who would like to? No, okay, all right, so we'll go with the, uh, the folks uh, online in the order in which they signed up. Okay, so our first speaker is Charity uh, Mendenhall. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead whenever okay. you're ready. I uh, guess. My name is Charity Mendenhall. I'm the executive, executive director of Charmed Behavioral and Health Therapy. I live in Bothell, um, but I do run the therapy, um, a psychotherapy um, business out of Shoreline, and I just wanted to talk briefly um, on the, the topic of the ARPA funding for COVID relief and for mental health services. And really, I wanted to just um, thank the council and the mayor for uh, the funds, making the grant, for the grant that was um, given to us and the funds that we received. It's been um, a great help in the community and we've been able to benefit many of the immigrant communities of Shoreline and the, the BIPOC um, communities of Shoreline. So really we are very appreciative of the support that the City of Shoreline has given us um, and just wanted to let you all know that. Thank you. Thank you Ms. Mendenhall. Okay, our next speaker is Tom McCormick. Hello, council members. I'm wanting to speak about process. The amendment number three, as Mayor Scully mentioned, is a site-specific uh, rezoning. That's uh, item 8A. The two weeks ago, November 14, 
staff report included eight pages, basically taking a second bite of the apple, making a pitch for council to approve the hearing examiner's recommendation. The public was not afforded an equal opportunity. There is nothing that I have seen in the law that would allow the disparate treatment of the, in this fashion. So I think uh, if council are to, is to approve the hearing examiner's recommendation tonight, without fully affording the community an opportunity to rebut staff's recommendation to follow the hearing examiner's uh, recommendation. Uh, again, I think that is that would be an illegal action. It's the big picture here is hearing examiner held the hearing, staff made its pitch as to why the, the rezone should be allowed the public made counter arguments. Hearing examiner then issued a decision recommending to council approving the, uh, the rezone, but in that decision also mentioned several points that council may wish to consider, including ones that I have raised uh, previously. And I'm not gonna mention those because this is quasi-judicial. But here we have then staff coming back two weeks ago, eight pages of the staff report arguing in favor of council adopting the hearing examiner's recommendation, explaining why it meets all the comprehensive plan elements for a rezone, et cetera, et cetera. And I disagree with that, but I've never been afforded an adequate opportunity, nor have other members of the public who may wish to, never afforded the adequate opportunity to rebut it. And I'd like the city attorney or somebody to show me where exactly it says that, that you can have staff be allowed in this setting to present their comments for a second time, a second bite of the apple, while denying the public that equal opportunity. This is just unfair. We have a flawed process here. Maybe it was a mistake. I want to hear from the city attorney I want to hear from the city manager as to why this happened in the way that it did. This is not right. The hearing examiner's recommendation should stand by itself without any further comment by staff whatsoever. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. McCormick. Are there any other public comments? No. All right, thank you. Ne next up is the uh, consent calendar. Deputy Mayor. I move approval of the consent calendar. Second. The clerk, please call the vote. Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Poby? Councilmember Roberts? Aye. The consent calendar passes unanimously six to zero. Next up is action item 8A, which is action on ordinance number 975, the comprehensive plan annual docket amendments. And it looks like Mr. Saffron is going to be presenting. Thank you, Mayor and Council. I am here to discuss Ordinance 975, 
which would adopt the 2022 Comprehensive Plan Amendment Docket. So uh, quickly, this is a list of uh, amendments that were collected during uh, 2021. The commission, Planning Commission did discuss the pro proposed amendments, uh, making a recommendation to Council on October 6th. Um, amendment 3 was the site-specific um, Comprehensive Plan Land Use Map Amendment and concurrent reason that was reviewed by the hearing examiner on September 27th. And then the Council um, did discuss the proposed amendments on November 14th. So the Planning Commission did recommend um, adopting three amendments. Amendment one um, being the uh, transportation element of the comprehensive plan. This will replace the current transportation element uh, with a new transportation element and remove the transportation master plan as a supporting analysis for that transportation element. Um, the transportation element contains transportation-related goals and policies, including policies related to climate resiliency and community vibrancy. Um, automobile, pedestrian, bicycle, transit, and share use mobility modal plans are included. There's also policy guidance for transportation concurrency, multimodal levels of service, um, transportation improvements, and also funding for those improvements. Um, the commission did recommend approval of number four, which would add a new land use policy five related to housing and preservation of significant trees. And that amendment um, would read development regulations to um, maintain and increase, um, develop regulations to maintain and increase shorelines, urban tree canopy with the goal of encouraging tree retention and protection while also increasing um, housing opportunity and choice. Um, the commission ended up recommending amendment number six would change two um, land use uh, map designations um, in the Richmond Beach Saltwater Park area. Um, the first parcel shown here would change from public facility to public open space and then also the um, showing the public open space for these parcels um, near the tidelands and also um, the rest of the upland portions of Richmond Beach Saltwater Park. The Planning Commission did recommend to um, Amendment 5 to be studied as part of the 2024 major update of the comprehensive plan. Um, the city was awarded a commerce grant to study mid middle housing types in single family zones and this grant work will inform potential goals and policies um, potentially in the land use element and housing elements of um, the updated plan. Uh, amendment number three, this was recommended by the hearing examiner um, to change the um, uh, land use map designation from public facility to mixed use one and to change a portion of the zoning from mixed um, R18 to um, entirely mixed business for the King County um, park and ride site. Um, again, the commission has recommended approval of amendments one, four, and six, recommended that amendment number five be uh, studied as part of the major update of the comprehensive plan, and the hearing examiner did recommend approval of amendment number three. So if the council would like to um, entertain a motion, I have it uh, available on the screen and here for any questions. All right, this is an action item, so as you start with a motion, is there a motion? Deputy Mayor. 
Thank you, Mayor. I move adoption of ordinance number 975, which would accept the Planning Commission's recommendation for amending the comprehensive plan as set forth in amendment numbers 1, 4, and 6. Direct staff to incorporate the study of amendment number 5 into the 2024 major update of the comprehensive plan and accept the hearing examiner's recommendation to amend the comprehensive plan and the official zoning map as set forth in amendment number 3. Is there a second? Second. All right. Motion and second. Would you like to speak to your motion? Just a brief acknowledgement of all the individuals who had a hand in putting this comprehensive plan together, um, the planning commission, planning staff, members of the community uh, who had wonderful contributions to make, and I look forward to seeing this plan start to, start to take shape and be studied. Further discussion? Okay. Seeing... Did you have a, no, no, no okay. it just twitched. All right. Yeah, Council Member. Uh, when is a good time to talk about the hearing exam? Is this the time to do that? The, the motion is to do everything all at once. So if this, this is the time to either move to amend that motion or to just discuss. I, I just have clarifying <clears throat> Yeah, go for it. Uh, so for the, I was confused with the hear, hearing exam. Pardon me. Floor. Commissioner or Council Member Mark, would you? Yep, yep. Talking to, to talking you. to the mic. I certainly can. I'm sorry. I, I got confused. On does the entire park and ride go away, or is there parking left, and just or or is anything specifically identified? I, I just got confused on what the future looks like for that site. So the TOD feasibility study um, included in your last packet did show that the commuter parking would still be there. Uh, the configuration was up in the air if that was structured or um, surface or a standalone garage, but commuter parking was part of that. The same number of parking uh, locations or a smaller number? I believe that's in the, uh, up in the air depending on the, the layout of the site. So the hearing examiner recommendation, does it speak to that in any way? It, it does not. No, it's just purely um, the comprehensive plan map and rezoning of the parcel. So the number of parking locations on that spot, who, who would make the decision? Does the planning department have ability to, as mixed business, uh, discuss how many parking locations would be there, or how does that work? It would be what the zone requires for the proposed project. It's not a condition of the rezone at all. And, and Mr. Mayor, may I also just want to remind on the <coughs> appearance of fairness going through that process. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, let's, let's finish up the discussion and we'll do it retroactively. Um, did you have further questions? No, thank you. No, nothing. All right, the city attorney reminded me that because this is a quasi-judicial action, we need to go through the, the appearance of fairness checklist. We have previously disclosed a number of emails that we all received. We don't need to do that again unless Ms. King tells me otherwise that is incorporated in. But if anyone has received any additional ex parte communications, you should disclose those. You should also review the checklist and make sure that we are all able to consider this fairly. Um, and I don't believe we need to go through a one-by-one -one affirmation, correct? Only if somebody has something to change. Yeah. Okay. So if any of you have anything to disclose, either next part to communication or potential conflict, please do so now. Otherwise, we're uh, proceeding on the assumption we're all able to. Okay. 
further discussion on either Amendment 5 or any of the other parts of the motion? Okay, will the clerk please call the vote? Yes. Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Povey? Councilmember Roberts? Aye. All right. The motion uh, in its original form passes unanimously six to nothing. Thank you, Mr. Saffron. Thank you. And that brings us to study item 9A, which is a discussion of the updated ILA with the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. I believe Ms. Wolbeck done, along with Ms. Ranker presenting. Good evening. Um, again, my name is Bethany Wabrecht Dunn. I'm the city's community services manager. With me today is Alexis Mercedes Rink from the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. We're here to uh, share the updated um, proposed regional homelessness authority interlocal with the five North End uh, cities here in King County. There we go. Uh, the, again, the proposed interlocal would be with Shoreline. Lake Forest Park, Kenmore, Bothell, Woodenville, and the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. We did uh, have a presentation to council on August 15th of this year. Uh, we had a robust discussion. Uh, we worked with the King County Regional Homelessness Authority as well as the other participating cities to update the interlocal to reflect the feedback that was provided by uh, the Shoreline Council and uh, feedback from other cities. And again, just as a reminder, uh, what the Interlocal is seeking to do is to consolidate funding for homelessness programs uh, with the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. This includes a phased approach, which would be for 2023, 2024, Shoreline would simply transfer uh, the four programs that the council previously uh, awarded funding to for those two years of the biennium. That's approximately $100,000. We would transfer those funds to the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. They would implement those pro programs with the same dollar amounts that the council approved. And then in the following biennium in 2025-26, Shoreline would provide funding at a minimum of 120 per capita, although the council could decide to fund additional. And King County Regional Homelessness Authority would determine specific programming in this North King County subregion, which would be then in alignment with that subregional plan that will soon be released. So to review some of the comments uh, or concerns that the council uh, shared at the August 15th meeting, um, and this was also presented in the staff report, uh, there was four main concerns, one being to clarify that the Homelessness Authority would allocate all funds uh, provided with no overhead taken, and that is now listed in Exhibit A, bullet number three. Another concern would be that to provide specific language that the funding that's provided from those cities within the subregion would stay in programs uh, in that subregion. And that is now shown explicitly in Exhibit A, bullet number four, under allowable expenses. 
Uh, another concern was to list a specific per capita share minimum for cities, and that is now shown in Exhibit B at $1.20 per capita, and it does now reference that we're going to be using the Washington Office of Financial Management number that is released each, each April. And again, the cities do retain uh, the ability to allocate more funding uh, through this uh, interlocal. Uh, the final concern shared in August was that to have the interlocal contained specific language that would allow cities to enter into separate agreements with agencies that serve homeless folks in our community. Um, and that is now shown in Exhibit B in the bolded paragraph. So in terms of next steps, uh, the Regional Author Homelessness Authority is coming to all uh, the five cities within that subregion in November and December, and uh, the plan is to have that agreement in place by the 1st of 2023. Um, I believe Bothell has already approved it. I think it's on, I have notes here, it's on consent tonight, I think in Lake or Kenmore, and the other cities are, it's, it's slated to be adopted as well. So this evening, we're here to answer any questions that you have regarding this interlocal and then provide direction for further action if the council uh, so chooses. So with that, happy to answer any questions that you would have. Questions or comments? Yeah, Deputy Mayor. Just one quick question. Um, just based on what you said about the 120 per capita, based on OFM numbers that come out each April, yeah. does that mean that that $1.20 could potentially change each April? Not Did the $1.20, but the amount provided. So if our, uh, in theory, if our population increases as it does, then um, it would, our, our minimum would increase. So it's always going to be $1.20. And so if we're at, right now, it's actually, I think, the $1.20 at where our population is, we're providing more funds than is the minimum. Yeah. Um, and so if our population continues to increase, our minimum would increase. Yeah. Um, thank you. I just, I just want to say thank you for this. And um, thank you. I was not here on August 15th, but I, I appreciate all of the, the concerns and the questions that were brought up by my council colleagues, and I know that they helped put together, you know, and, and refine and make this agreement even better. Uh, this is a huge issue. This is a, a challenge for our entire region. It doesn't know borders, the challenge of homelessness, uh, and it's not going to be solved overnight. There isn't just one solution. I This to me, though, feels like it feels hopeful and it feels like something that is going to start to make a difference. So I look forward to supporting this ILA when it comes back to us for um, an, an official vote. And I hope my colleagues do as well. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I appreciate all the work that's been done. I think this is a much better document than we saw uh, early on this year. Um, I do have a, a specific question here. Uh, so the uh, this agreement between um, the several cities um, is shall expire on in 2020 and at the end of 2026 and then automatically renews which is fine I mean that's uh, have no problem there however when we look at sort of going into exhibit B it only talks about budgeting for the next two bienniums and up to 2026 so you have an ILA that is not perpetual, but I mean, it's 
automatically renewing, <laughs> but there's no exhibit attached to, there's no budget beyond 2026. What is the thoughts behind how this was created in this way without sort of any discussion in exhibit B about future years if it's automatically renewed? Hi, Council. Thank you so much for having me back again tonight. Um, so that's a fantastic question, and I know a lot of this is really contingent also on the development of a North King County sub-regional plan. And as we're positioning to coming forward with our five-year plan, which will have some really informed estimates around the cost to address homelessness locally, um, it is our intention, you know, I imagine future years to bring forward an updated recommendation and potentially a addendum for future years that would be informed by what does local share potentially look like. And so if the council would like to, I mean, we can absolutely discuss as staff. I know a lot of city attorneys have looked at this, um, wanting to bring forward uh, some additional language that acknowledges those future year investments. I think that would be something we could absolutely add to address that concern. But that would have to be a new ILA that we'd have to... Either a new ILA would have to be created now, which is difficult. I mean, becomes more difficult as other as cities have approved this already. <laughs> I see the, <laughs> but I mean, we're looking at. I mean, this ILA is really may not last until twenty twenty six because there's going to be change. I mean, after the five year plan is developed, that will change and inform what the ILA actually is. Did I get that right? Yes, um, I think the intention would be in recognition, as Alexis mentioned, there is a lot of complexities going on. The plan has not been released. That while we would like to be able to count on the base of this continuing, if if it's you know not uh, count, count, canceled specifically, we would like to be able to go back and add that those further years with the basis in the same place, if that makes sense, with some of the things already worked out versus it going away in in, 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 in its entirety. That would be our intent. Um, because as Alexis mentioned, uh, we'll have a much better idea on perhaps changing that per capita rate um, based on data and information that we've gathered through the development of the plan and then also the implementation as we move forward through these next two bienniums. Okay, thank you. Other questions? I read out a couple, and, and I generally know the answers to these. I just want to sort of validate it. So right now, we have three funding partners that we currently provide funding to. We are transferring control of those funds to KCRHA, but my understanding is there is not a current intent to change whether those three funding providers are, are still funded in the same amount, correct? Correct. All right. And also, I mean, sneaky lawyer mind, I, I read this. I, I like the fact that there are numerous outs. So my understanding of the answer to that question is there will be an amendment, and amending these things is not that hard. If we don't like it, there is a termination provision which lets us get out of it even before 2026. Is that accurate? Correct. Okay. Um, most of my concerns that I raised in the last thing have been met. I mean, I think there's plenty of outs now, and I, I have, I'm a believer in KCRHA. I was involved in the early stages of it. The deputy mayor took over and has been involved since then. Um, obviously very good people working there, um, many of whom have been involved from the start. But this is not the first attempt at this, and it was important to me that there be a way for us to say, good intentions, everybody, this isn't working out. We need to get local control over this because we're not seeing results. So I, I think this is a, a solid document, and thus far it sounds like things are, are going well. Obviously, we want to accelerate the sub-area plan as much as possible, but I will certainly be voting for this, and I would encourage other council members to do the same. Are there any additional questions for staff? 
Can we put this on consent? Yes. Okay. All right. So I guess we'll see this back on consent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for driving to Shoreline. Have a great evening. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to 9B, which is discussion of the use of COVID recovery funds for human services in 2023. And it looks like Ms. Wolbrecht-Dunn will be presenting. All right, thank you uh, for that time to get that on the screen correctly. Again, my name is Bethany Walbrook Dunn and I'm the city's community services manager. Um, I'm here now to talk about uh, the COVID recovery funds uh, that have been allocated in 2022 and look towards recommendations uh, for council review for 2023. Uh, again, these are COVID recovery funds. They are funding uh, that is general funds that are made possible by the use of American Rescue Plan Act funds uh, in other uh, ways through the city. Uh, council reserved a little over $2 million for human services recovery funding. Programs and projects uh, we have allocated, or rather council has approved 1.4 limited term FTEs for community support specialists. Those uh, were implemented in October of 2021. And the remaining funding was programmed into three categories, emergency support, investment in services, and strengthening civic connections. So in terms of the 2020 funding, this was reviewed and approved by council in, I believe, January, late January of 2022. Uh, there was $257,000 of in emergency support, and that is through, uh, we did grocery gift cards, we did financial assistance that was funneled through agencies, um, and uh, again, other uh, also bus tickets, uh, transportation. Uh, second category was investment in services, and those were programs. Uh, as mentioned, one of the um, uh, public hearing speakers uh, was to a uh, counseling service. And then the third category was strengthening civic connections was through uh, a Love Your Community grant program through our neighborhoods program. So in terms of the impact of funding, there was, as I mentioned, direct support to Shoreline residents. Uh, the city participated in uh, the Shoreline PTSA Holiday Basket Program. We did that in 2021, and we're all geared up to do that again uh, on December 10th, 2022. We also provided funding, uh, financial assistance to agencies who then allocated that out to Shoreline residents for uh, financial needs that they would have, whether that be rent, uh, a utility bill, a car repair, a medical uh, bill. We also provided supports to agencies. Uh, we had counseling programs. Uh, we had some case management. And we and as part of that, we also uh, 
have been going out to each of the programs to provide some technical assistance to the program and to review policies and plans. Uh, three of these programs, three of the four programs that uh, the council funded, uh, have this is the first time they've received city funding. And so we felt it was important to just be able to go out there and provide that support to those agencies. Again, uh, we also had some limited term FTEs in terms of community support specialists. They have been able to provide one-on-one -on -one assistance when people uh, contact us. We have a phone number, an email, um, and those uh, specialists have done anything from uh, translate uh, with someone, or rather interpret at the school district with a shoreline resident. They have gone and assisted people in getting signed up for other benefits, transportation, all of those things. When someone needs a little extra help, we have someone that's able to provide that assistance. Um, as we noted in January, we felt that it was important to allocate uh, or recommend allocations a year at a time because we felt maybe the needs would change or we wanted to remain um, nimble in looking at the community's uh, the response to COVID in the community. What we have found is the needs still remain relatively high um, and in all the ways uh, that you probably can guess from, again, rent assistance remains high. Uh, food, um, just basic needs uh, continue to remain very high as related. Um, and obviously things have changed quite a bit. Um, inflation remains high, so we do expect a lot of this to continue in the future. So before I get to the specific recommendations, I want to make a couple of just point out some highlights to the, to the recommendations that, uh, that we have. So we're looking to maintain programs within the investment in services, and that includes the flexible financial support provided through those agencies. Um, we have some really important rental assistance programs in the city through HopeLink's our big provider, but some of these programs, like Shoreline Community Care, are able to provide a little bit more, I guess, again, I use the word nimble, response to a $500, being $500 short on rent or something like that. So we feel like it's just a, a little bit different way to provide uh, flexible financial support to Shoreline residents. Um, we are recommending to scale back support to the grocery card purchases for holiday baskets program. We are recommending um, it go from 87.5 uh, to $50,000 in 2023. We're recommending a minor increase to flexible financial support for shoreline community care. Um, as food needs remain high, uh, we are looking to add support to the Hope Link Food uh, Bank program. Uh, we're also looking to support the housing outreach worker through Lake City Partners through June of 2023. And um, two of the smaller components of the programming, which were the Love Your Community Grant and Hotel Voucher Program, had some trouble getting off the ground uh, and just in looking at how to implement a hotel voucher program. Um, so we're looking to uh, not fund additional, but to rather to carry over those funds into 2023. So uh, on your screen, you will see the programs that we are recommending for funding. Um, we've included a, uh, the 2022 uh, for comparison. 
And again, you'll note that the hotel voucher program and the Love Your Community grant program that we'll be looking to carry those over into the 2023 budget rather than add additional funds. Um, I will say that we have worked out the kinks with the hotel voucher program and we'll be able to move forward with that um, relatively quickly. So we're, we're, we're happy that that's moving forward. So this evening, um, looking to discuss uh, the COVID recovery funds plan for 2023, and then looking for your direction uh, for uh, essentially putting these projects into the budget amendment that will be taking place in spring of 2023. And with that, happy to answer any questions. Questions or comments? Uh, sorry at the end there, Council Member Ramsdale. Your mic, Council Member. Sorry about that. Um, uh, thank you for the for uh, the presentation. Um, you know, having worked in human services for over 20 years, it's just a really, really wonderful to see all these great programs that the city is doing. Um, I had a couple of questions regarding um, uh, kind of the eligibility criteria for the flexible financial support. You mentioned that you had been reviewing their policies and, and procedures. I wouldn't expect you to know the answer at this point, but at some point you can provide provide the answer for me in the future. I'm kind of curious, like, were those were those uh, policies and procedures kind of set by the city, or are they kind of set more by um, the agencies, and, and is there kind of disparity in, in how those um, eligibility criteria are, are determined? Yeah, that's a great yeah. question. Thank you for asking that. Um, so, as like I said, as part of our program review, we are looking to come in as partners to that process and to be able to bring in some of, again, our experience and what we see. Um, so we don't set really stringent, we're not prescriptive in that, but they uh, should be presenting, the client should be presenting with um, a, a need and some sort of uh, way to show that they have some sort of income qualification. Um, being that these aren't federal funds, um, we're again not really subject to the same um, income qualifications that like say the community development block grant program would be um, uh, needing to follow. So um, I can get more specific information for you, but um, I do know that they do review, uh, like again, for example, if someone comes with a need for a utility bill, they do check their income, and then they make that payment directly to the utility. Yeah. Um, I've got another question. Um, so um, As far as I'm really curious, what was going on with the hotel vouchers? What was the what was the, what, was, what was kind of the causing that problem? What were the, what was causing sure. the problems? That's a great question too. Um, so it has a lot to do with just that we have to have some agreement with the hotel, uh, the hosting hotel, and just some legal uh, ways to work out some of the legal challenges in 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 putting ourselves, you know, in terms of risk management for that hotel. Just one last question. Um, we, we know, like, the, one of the barriers to getting people who are homeless that, to be housed is, you know, coming up with a first and last month and security deposit. It's just a lot of money that it's really beyond the means of, of many people. Um, I'm, you know, we were just recently in Kansas City at the National League of uh, NLC uh, conference, and and uh, some communities are have set up like uh, trusts, you know, uh, trust to to help help, uh, you know, let's say people who are homeless. Who, to, to, to find an apartment. Um, I, I'm really curious if we're kind of thinking in those terms, you know, for 
you know, to being able to kind of provide like some, you know, that kind of funding to help people get housed, if that's a thing that, okay, thanks. Yeah, that's a great um, comment. Um, I can say that uh, in some of these programs, uh, specifically, they have been doing just that. Um, uh, just for an example, at, at Center for Human Services, someone presented there. They actually helped them get into the Oaks, and then the person had incomes. So they were able, able to help them transition out and use some funding to help with that first and last month. So uh, that's exactly the sort of flexible things we're able, the agencies are able to do when working uh, really in collaboration with the resident to figure out. Um, what I do appreciate about all of these programs and that what we've um, continued to have discussions with the programs when we're going out to visit them is that they are looking uh, solutions oriented. So not just to solve the problem today, but to look for what other resources and programs and things they might be able to work with the resident on. So it's a, a real comprehensive approach. Yeah. Great, thank you very much. Councilmember Mark. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, at the same uh, conference, one of the things that they discussed is, is that ARPA funds can be used for infrastructure to, mat to use as the city match. Would the city ever consider doing that? So the city actually did allocate a portion of the ARPA funding, I think the remainder of the seven point. So 7.5 and 2.1 was saved or, or allocated to human services and I believe the remainder was for wastewater and stormwater capital projects. Okay. Thank you. Deputy Mayor. Thank you. I just want to say that I am very supportive of the proposal, the very of the plan, and I, I really believe in in allocating these funds to go to organizations that specialize in, in these services, right? So we're not doing it ourselves. We're putting it in the hands of the folks who, who know what they're doing, um, but reflect our values and what we want to see in our community. The, the one area I was going to drill down on a little bit is just this area of food insecurity and the, the drastic change in mm -hmm. funding from the gift cards, the grocery cards, which represent a, a lot of gift cards, um, a lot fewer gift cards that will be going out into our community this year. So you say the need is high, it's still high, hasn't changed. Um, what are we doing to, oh, and shifting that money to HopeLink, what are we doing to communicate that? Is that really going to still serve the population the way we want it to? Thank you for that question. Uh, this response was in, uh, or this recommendation was in response to a huge increase in requests that we saw from HopeLink as part of our regular every two-year allocation process, and a um, a look to be creative and try to find a way to solve that problem or to approach to solve that problem. Um, and while the need remains high, we. The council could decide to allocate additional funds for the grocery cards. Um, the infrastructure at HopeLink is there, and that was why our recommendation was to build that up a little bit from there. Um, we have allocated, um, you know, we have the holiday basket program, which will go through so this this December and next December, um, and then uh, lost my train of thought there for oh, it's back. Um, some of our the, the additional grocery cards we did allocate to some of our partner agencies like the Senior Center and Hope Link 
and uh, Center for Human Services and Shoreline Community Care. So those are also getting out into the community. And I know Hopelink still has some remaining that they're working to provide this holiday season. Um, but that was our approach for our recommendation was to put a little bit more back into the infrastructure that's that's been there. Thank you. And knowing that the holiday baskets, in particular, they go through the school district, right? That's a partnership? Correct. And is the school district aware that they will be receiving less from us? So uh, the way that it, it works, uh, my understanding, is um, it's through the PTSA. And we actually, the way it works is we go on that Saturday and we, we hand them out and people sign for them. So there's um, that has been approached with them. And um, we will see, again, we, this does go through a whole other this this holiday season and next holiday season um, and the pandemic has caused the, the program the holiday baskets program to completely shift from collecting food and all of that so um, we'll see if it it may need to continue to shift in other ways as well thank you further questions or comments um, I just want to Note. I mean, I, I'm delighted we're funding Charmed and Grounded, um, and they're focused on a specific community, and we did that intentionally, and that's great. Um, I think there's a tremendous unmet need for youth mental health services, some of it directly related to COVID. And I, don't, I, I spent my day in juvenile court wearing a different hat and sort of watching these stories play out over and over again, where every single person, most of whom are youth of color, were having issues getting mental health treatment. It's fresh in my mind. That may not mean it's the most important thing. It's just what I spent my day doing. Um, is there an opportunity to recognize the impacts of COVID on ongoing mental health, particularly for folks who got pulled out of school for a year and find some other programs that will broaden the reach beyond those specific communities or are we sort of out of money? We do have um, funding, uh, I guess, remaining that we're holding back to, to see if, make further recommendations in 2024. Um, I know that the city, you know, we have funding involved through our teen program that we're working with Center for Human Services on uh, through through the programs that we have for the Best Starts for Kids grant. Um, another thing we are looking at is um, working on the council-approved Human Services Strategic Plan next year in 2023, and I think that's going to be one of the things we look at, ways to either, um, different ways to fund within the structure that we have, um, but there is always opportunities for, for more or different, for sure. I, I would encourage us to take a, take a look at that and see if there's another, I mean, oh, and maybe it's just more money to Charmed and Grounded, although they, they are specifically focused. Mm -hmm. um, any other questions or comments? I think this comes back as an action item. I think it has to, correct? So what we're asking for is you actually will see the CHS contract um, on uh, consent, I believe, on the 12th. Um, but this will be put on uh, the programmatic money and the flexible money is not currently in the 2023 budget. So we'll come back to you as part of the budget amendment carryover process in, in spring of 2023. Anything further? Thank you very much. And we are on to our final study item, which I expect to be the most contentious of the year, the compost procurement ordinance. Is Mr. Norris, are you doing that one or who do we have? Sorry. So Ms. Oh, Lane, Lane. Okay, is joining yeah. us. Yeah. And let me, I've, I've forgotten my touch on, um, doing the sharing here from 
remote after having been in person for so long, so bear with me. There we are. So, um, Mayor, Council, thank you for having us tonight. Um, this is a discussion on Ordinance 976, which will um, amend the city's purchasing code, Chapter 2.60, and it incorporates some mandatory um, changes that the state has required regarding the use of compost in public projects. But just because it's mandated doesn't mean that it doesn't have some benefit so we will talk about those as soon as I figure out how to advance this slide. There we go. Is that now showing up? We're still on slide one. Still slide one. Okay. I apologize. There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. So, um, for background, again, as I said, that um, this is a mandatory change that has been required um, in RCW 4319A, um, recognizing that compost is a key part of the city's or of the state's waste system. Um, part of the 2022 Organics Management Law requires that we implement the jurisdictions and um, provide this residential compost service by 2027 and of course shoreline has had that um, for quite some time so we've met that but it also requires the jurisdictions to adopt a compost procurement ordinance by january 1st of 2023 which is what we're doing here tonight having sticky keys. There we go. We're going to thank you. I'm going to let okay. Jesse. I will control the slides. Thank you. So on... Thank you. So um, the there we go. So as you know, there are many benefits of compost, um, reducing our solid waste costs, as well as I think more importantly, right, addressing the climate change um, by reducing greenhouse gas emissions and purchasing our locally produced organic materials supports that whole life cycle. So it also reduces runoff and um, benefits our stormwater system as well as improving soil health and reducing um, the need for pesticides and fertilizer. So in our requirement, what we're required to do in the ordinance is um, where feasible, we would require the use of um, compost for landscaping projects, construction soil amendment, erosion control and stabilization, stormwater filtration, and green infrastructure. Um, there are some exceptions 
um, such as if the timing or price or certain standards aren't available. But I think our goal will be that we would implement these um, wherever possible. And of course, it's prioritizing the use of um, compost that is produced locally so that we help our own life cycle within, um, within the region. We will be required to report the tons of, um, of diversion that have been done as well as the sources and volume of compost used. It's also important to note that the city has long been utilizing um, you know, natural compost. We produce our own chips and frequently use those within projects already. So we're not going to be expected to replace that. So if we're already using free wood chips for a project, we can continue to do that. But where we may have instead gotten some soil, we'll now be using compost. Um, and then, of course, we will be educating the community about the value of compost through this process. <clears throat> so in um, Ordinance 976, next slide. There. Oh, I'm sorry, did I miss that one? Um, so in Ordinance 976, um, it aligns with our efforts around the um, current policy and our environmentally pre preferred purchasing policy. It also aligns with Council's goal um, around conservation and zero waste, the city side, the countywide um, REPLUS program, as well as, of course, the climate action plan that, um, that has been adopted. <clears throat> So happy to answer any questions. Right now we have this scheduled to come back for action on December 12th. Questions or comments from council? Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. I love this ordinance. I think it's fun and I my favorite part is actually the reporting back because I think it will be fascinating to see how much is diverted, how much we actually use in the city. Uh, my question is reading the staff report it talks about requiring the use of compost in public projects, but is anyone talking about going further with this, about making it a requirement in projects in general across the city, public or private? Um, I this, this code definitely focuses on the state requirement, which is the public um, processes. I think Cameron Reed could probably answer that. I know we actually, I'll, I'll say we had a, um, a great group that was working on this. So led by um, Janet Bowman and Cameron Reed, and they worked with our internal staff. And I know there was conversation what the timing would be for implementing that or the, um, the likelihood of implementing that. I can't respond to right now, but I think we could get back to you with that. Well, thank you very much. And I do look forward to supporting this in, as it, when it comes back. Right. Other questions? So I would actually like to, not in the scope of this, I think this is great as it is, but I would like us to add to the retreat agenda, looking at reducing the amount of edible food waste is disposed. This has come up a few times, and we originally looked at this as part of the recology contract when not everyone was on the council, and we opted for a fairly cautious approach. So Seattle does and Shoreline doesn't mandate that restaurants compost. Seattle does and Shoreline doesn't mandate that apartment buildings compost. And we've heard various arguments like, well, we don't want the big smelly bin. And my response is, you've already got the big smelly bin. It's just all garbage. This stuff is getting thrown out in the trash. We can do better than that. And we had some reasons for our caution, and I think it's time to revisit it. So I'm hoping we can take a look at that 
it's going to take years to get that up, and I would love to have us start doing that now, as well as on the procurement side, which of course is buying the finished product, which is important too. So I, I think this is great. I haven't heard any dissent to it. Is consent calendar acceptable to everybody? Okay. All right. So I think we can see it on consent on December 12th. Anything further on this item? No? All right. We are adjourned. Congratulations, Mr. Ellington. You survived your first meeting. <laughs>